Hello, and welcome to Ominous Obsessions, the podcast that explores the eerie and macabre while maintaining a relaxing vibe. My name's Tiffany, and I'm your host on this journey into the world of true crime and all things unsettling. Today, we're diving deeper into the infamous case of the Zodiac Killer. This is part two of our series, where we'll be examining other crimes with similar MOs and suspects linked to the case. If you're just tuning in, we highly recommend listening to our previous episode, where we covered the known facts of the Zodiac Killer's crimes and the enigmatic ciphers that have stumped investigators for decades. But, if you're a returning listener, feel free to light up a joint or grab a drink as we jump further into the chilling details of this unsolved case. And be sure to stick around until the end of the episode, where my husband Nick will be joining me once again on the podcast. As promised, we'll be discussing our experiences during our stay at the Haunted Elms Hotel and Spa. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's uncover more mysteries surrounding the Zodiac Killer. Now that we're all caught up on the facts surrounding the Zodiac Killer and his crazy ciphers, it's time to delve deeper into the case. One of the most perplexing aspects of the case is the fact that it remains unsolved to this day. However, over the years, investigators have identified several other cases that have been linked to the Zodiac Killer due to their similar modus operandi. The Zodiac Killer was known for his distinctive and brutal killing style which included targeting couples and taunting law enforcement with cryptic messages. But what's interesting is that there are several other cases with similar characteristics (laughs) that have been linked to the Zodiac Killer. As we've been seeing in other cases of its nature, it's not uncommon for serial killers to claim responsibility for more murders than they are definitively tied to. The Zodiac Killer was no exception. He claimed to have killed 37 victims in his letters, but only five have been definitively tied to him. However, the fact that he was able to evade capture and have a penchant for taunting law enforcement suggests that he may have been responsible for more unsolved murders. In fact, some investigators believe that he may have been active before and after his known crimes in California. This is intriguing. (laughs) Or <laughs> this intriguing prospect led me to dive deeper into my research and look into cold cases that occurred in the years prior to and after the Zodiac's active period. During my investigation, I came across a few cases that share similarities to known attacks. Although they're not definitively linked to the Zodiac, many have speculated if they were the work of the same killer. So let's take a closer look at these unsolved crimes and see if we can uncover any potential connections to the Zodiac Killer. Local historian Christy Hawthorne has suggested that the Zodiac may have been responsible for the murder of cab driver Ray Davis on April 9, 1962 in Oceanside, California. This theory is based on similarities between Davis' murder and the Paul Stein murder. Interestingly, on April 9, 1962, the day prior to the murder, a person believed to be the killer had called the Oceanside Police Department and ominously stated, I'm going to pull something here in Oceanside, and you're never going to be able to figure it out. A few days later, the police received another call from the same individual, 
providing details about the murder and even making a threat to kill a bus driver next. After conducting further research, Oceanside police announced that they were exploring potential links between this murder and the Zodiac Killer. Another potential Zodiac killing is the 1963 double murder of Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards in northern Santa Barbara County. Law enforcement officer Bill Baker of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office has suggested that this crime may have been the work of the notorious killer. On June 4, 1963, the young couple was found shot to death on a beach near Lompoc. It's believed that the perpetrator attempted to bind the victims, but they managed to free themselves and tried to escape before being gunned down with a 22 caliber weapon. The killer then placed their bodies in a small shack and unsuccessfully attempted to burn it down. Interestingly, this crime bears some similarities to the attack at Lake Berryessa in 1969, where the Zodiac also attempted to bind his victims before ultimately stabbing them to death. However, in that case, the killer double-checked the bindings to ensure that they were secure. While the Domingos and Edwards case remains unsolved, many believe that it bears the hallmarks of a Zodiac killing. As we explore other cases that may be linked to the Zodiac Killer, there is another potential victim that deserves our attention. On October 30, 1966, Sherry Jo Bates, an 18-year-old student at Riverside City College, was brutally beaten and stabbed to death. Her nearly decapitated body was found between two abandoned houses, and the wires in her car's uh, distributor cap had been pulled out, suggesting that the perpetrator may have intentionally sabotaged her car. Military-style boot prints and a man's Timex watch with a torn wristband was found nearby. The crime scene had similarities to the Zodiac's known attacks, including the use of a knife and the removal of a piece of the victim's clothing. What makes this case even more intriguing is that letters were sent to the police and local newspaper <laughs> and local newspaper after the murder, claiming responsibility for the crime. Also, I'm not laughing at this crime. I am laughing at my un- inability to talk today. I apologize for that. <laughs> These letters had similarities to the Zodiac letters, including the use of a symbol that resembled the crosshairs of a rifle. The author of the letters taunted the police and threatened to strike again. Despite an extensive investigation, the killer was never caught. While the letters sent in connection to the Sherry Joe Bates murder have never, defini- have never been definitively linked to the Zodiac Killer, the similarities cannot be ignored. Many experts believe that the Bates case may be the Zodiac's first murder and that he continued to hone his skills in subsequent attacks. Regardless of whether or not the Zodiac was responsible for Sherry Joe Bates' murder, the case remains unsolved and the killer is still at large. Four years after her murder, San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery received a tip about similarities between the Zodiac killings and the circumstances surrounding Bates' death. However, Avery and the Riverside Police Department maintained that the Bates homicide was not committed by the Zodiac. Some of the Bates letters may have been the Zodiac's work to falsely claim credit, though. 
In April 1967, nearly identical handwritten letters were sent to the press, Enterprise, the Riverside Police, and Bates's father, warning that, quote, there will be more deaths. The letter to the press, Enterprise, and the police contained a small scribble resembling the letter Z at the bottom. Although Bates's possible connection to the Zodiac remains uncertain, the brutal nature of the crime and similarities to the Zodiac's other killings have led many to speculate that she was indeed a victim of the notorious killer. In August 2021, the Riverside Police Department's Homicide Cold Case Unit announced that the author of the letters anonymously contacted investigators in 2016 and was identified via DNA analysis in 2020. He admitted the correspondence was a distasteful hoax and apologized, explaining that he had been a troubled teenager and wrote the letters as a means of seeking attention. Investigators confirmed that the author was not the Zodiac. I tried looking into this a little bit, but I couldn't find much information about it. Um... However, in a letter mailed to the Los Angeles Times on March 31st, 1971, the Zodiac credited the police, instead of Avery, for discovering his, quote, Riverside activity, and stated that there were a hell of a lot more killings in Riverside. The connection between Sherry Jo Bates, Riverside, and the Zodiac remains uncertain. Now let's talk about another possible victim of the Zodiac killer. Kathleen Johns. On the night of March 22, 1970, Johns was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma to visit her mother. She was seven months pregnant and had her 10-month-old daughter beside her. While driving on Highway 132 near I-580, west of Modesto, California, a car began honking its horn and flashing its headlights behind her. Thinking that there was something wrong with her car, Johns pulled off the road and stopped. A man then approached her car and claimed that her right rear wheel was wobbling and offered to tighten <laughs> and offered to tighten the lug nuts. After finishing his work, the man drove off, but when Johns pulled forward to re-enter the highway, the wheel almost immediately came off the car. The man returned and offered to drive her to the nearest gas station for help. Johns and her daughter climbed into his car, and quickly they realized this man had other plans. He drove them around the area between Stockton and Patterson for approximately an hour and a half without stopping. It wasn't until the driver made a mistake and took the wrong exit that John saw an opportunity to escape. She grabbed her young daughter and jumped from the moving vehicle. Johns was able to flag down a passing semi-truck for help. She and her daughter were taken to the police station in Patterson, where Johns recognized the composite sketch of Paul Stein's killer as the man who had abducted her and her child. Fearing for their safety, the surgeon on duty had Johns wait at a, a nearby restaurant while they searched for the suspect. At this time, Johns's car was found torched. Despite the terrifying ordeal, Kathleen Johns was able to provide a detailed description of her abductor to the authorities, and her quick thinking and bravery likely saved her and her daughter's lives. Despite the fact that the identity and motivations of her abductor remain a mystery to this day, there is a possible connection between Johns' abduction and the Zodiac Killer's infamous Halloween card. The Zodiac claimed responsibility for the Lake Berryessa attack in the card and stated that he wanted to do it again, 
but, quote, this time by fire, end quote. After Kathleen Johns escaped from her abductor, she discovered that he had set her car on fire, adding to the speculation that the Zodiac Killer may have intended to use fire as a means of killing his victims, or perhaps as a way to cover his tracks. However, it's also possible that the Zodiac was simply referring to his use of fire as a way to clean up a crime scene. The last unsolved case that I found to have eerie connections to the Zodiac Killer is the disappearance of Donna Lass. In 1970, Donna Lass, a nurse at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino, vanished without a trace. Although no concrete evidence has been uncovered to link her disappearance to the Zodiac Killer, a postcard believed to be from the infamous killer appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle on March 22, 1971. The postcard, addressed to Paul Averly, was made from a collage of advertisements and magazine lettering, featuring a scene from an advertisement for Forest Pines condominiums. In the text, quote, Sierra Club, quote, Sought Victim 12, quote, Peek Through the Pines, quote, Past Lake Tahoe areas, quote, Around in the Snow. The Zodiac's cross circle symbol was in both the place of the usual return address and the lower right section of the front face of the postcard. The message on the back was equally cryptic, mentioning a red snow and a sign, leaving many guessing about who had sent it. Lass's employer and landlord received phone calls from an unknown male falsely claiming that Lass had left town because of a family emergency on the same day that she had disappeared. Later, what appeared to be a gravesite was discovered near the Claire Tapon Lodge in Norden, California, on Sierra Club property, but it was never clearly connected to Lass's disappearance. The postcard sent to the San Francisco Chronicle remains one of the few pieces of evidence that could potentially link the Zodiac Killer to Donna Lass's disappearance. It's unclear what the message on the postcard means and whether it's a genuine clue or a red herring. Nonetheless, the eerie ties between the postcard and the Zodiac Killer have led many to speculate that Donna Lass may have been one of his victims. Despite the lack of conclusive evidence, the possibility of Donna Lass being a victim of the Zodiac Killer continues to be a chilling reminder of the killer's unknown and elusive nature. In the 2017 History Channel documentary, The Hunt for the Zodiac Killer, new light was shed on the case and it reignited speculation about the Zodiac's involvement. The documentary revealed revealed that investigators had followed leads in a cracked cipher sent to the Lake Tahoe PD on one of Lass's missing posters. The anonymous tip contained a set of instructions that ultimately led investigators to Donner Pass Summit, where they were taken to a meadow surrounded by pine trees. The coincidence of Donner Pass and Donna Lass's name made investigators suspicious, and the deciphered directions were enough for them to bring in Tahoe PD and shut down the crime scene. Although no human remains were found, the leads from the anonymous tip were astounding and left investigators with more questions than answers. Since the investigators believed that the Lake Tahoe disappearance could be linked to the Zodiac, they decided to consult the FBI for any information on cases across state lines. The FBI has around 85 pages of publicly available files on their website. Uh, the vault, it's vault.fbi.gov. Uh, it, it proved to be a valuable resource for the investigators' research, as well as my own for these episodes. Obviously, the investigators had more information because they were 
investigators that were working with the FBI and cops and all kinds of things, and I am not that. <laughs> so I just used the vault pages, and 85 pages, that's quite a bit that you can look at. Uh, it's a lot of information, but be warned that some of the cops' handwriting is not the easiest to read, but that's okay. Um, during the search through the FBI files, uh, investigators found a letter sent to the Albany Times Union newspaper on August 1st, 1973. The letter contained the following writing, quote, you were wrong. I am not dead or in the hospital. I am alive and well, and I am going to start killing again. Below is the name and location of my next victim, but you better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th at 5 p.m. when the shifts change. Albany is a nice town. End quote. The bottom of the letter contains the Zodiac's signature symbol and a cipher. Furthermore, within the FBI files, the team also discovered a decrypted cipher that revealed a location redacted by the agency. After some investigation, it was revealed that the location was Albany Medical Center. Although there were no known homicides on the given date and no connected crimes. The discovery of this letter prompted the team to consult handwriting expert Eileen Page, who identified several similarities between known Zodiac letters and the Albany letter, including the strong and dark placement of colons and punctuation. Page concluded that the known signatures of the Zodiac killer were present in the Albany letter. This observation was shared by the team, who agreed that the writing style and overall tone of the letter bore an eerie resemblance to the other letters attributed to the Zodiac killer. If the Albany letter was indeed written by the Zodiac, it would have profound implications for the investigation. It would suggest that the killer had been active beyond California, and that there could be other victims who have yet to be connected to his known attacks. This possibility raises the question of whether the Zodiac had traveled to other states, leaving a trail of unsolved cases in his wake. The prospect of multiple unsolved cases attributed to the same killer is daunting and raises the need for a concerted effort to identify and bring the perpetrator to justice. Now that we've looked into some of the potential victims, it's time to shift our focus to the suspects in this case. Over the years, both law enforcement and amateur detectives have scrutinized a lengthy roster of people who might have been behind the Zodiac's terrifying crimes. One of the most scrutinized suspects is Arthur Leigh Allen, a Vallejo school teacher who was interviewed several times by police and ultimately died in 1992. Despite the lack of concrete evidence against him, many believe that his military-style clothing and knowledge of ciphers are too similar to the Zodiac's profile to be ignored. Lawrence Kane was identified in a lineup as the man who abducted Kathleen and had a history of violence against women. However, he wasn't considered a suspect until years after the initial murders. Ross Sullivan, a former mental patient who worked at the Riverside City College Library and was known to have an interest in cryptology, also remains, or <laughs> I said cryptology, cryptography, 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 also remains a popular suspect. However, there is little evidence tying him directly to the crimes. There are also several more recent suspects who have come to light in the past few years. Gary Francis Post, a former 
Air Force sergeant who lived in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time of the killings, allegedly confessed to the murders on his deathbed in 2018. And just last year, in 2022, a new lead in the case emerged when investigators identified a suspect through partial DNA evidence found on one of the Zodiac's letters. While the DNA profile did not match any known suspects or individuals in law enforcement databases, it is believed to be from someone close to the killer, such as an accomplice or someone who helped with the letters. This development had renewed interest in the case and sparked new efforts to try and identify the ind- individual connected to the to the DNA. <laughs> Despite the many suspects who have been investigated over the years, the, identi- uh, the identity of the Zodiac Killer remains unknown. It's possible that the killer may have already passed away, taking the secret of his identity to the grave. But as we've seen with recent breakthroughs in DNA technology, there's always a chance that new evidence may come to light and bring us closer to solving one of the most notorious unsolved cases in American history. With that being said, let's take a deeper dive into the history of some of these suspects and explore the evidence for and against their involvement in the Zodiac case. Arthur Leigh Allen is a significant Zodiac suspect due to the considerable evidence pointing towards his involvement. His history of violence and sexual misconduct included threatening women with knives and molesting children, which resulted in his firing from his job as a schoolteacher. Additionally, he had a criminal record for several offenses, such as burglary and auto theft. Allen's handwriting matched the Zodiac's handwriting on the letters and cards he sent to the media and police. Moreover, during a search of his home, a typewriter that matched the typeface used in Zodiac's letters was discovered. However, some handwriting experts argue that the similarities between Allen's handwriting and the Zodiac's are not significant enough to establish a definitive connection. There is no direct evidence linking Allen to any of the Zodiac killings. DNA testing conducted on items related to the case, including envelopes and stamps used on the Zodiac letters, have not been linked to Allen. Allen had an alibi for the time of the Lake Berryessa attack, and the witness who identified him as the man who had approached and threatened a couple in a park uh, later recanted his identification, saying that he had been pressured by police to identify Allen as a suspect. Cops, we don't, don't do that. Don't pressure people to confess or to identify other people. Don't do that. Uh, The evidence against Arthur Leigh Allen is circumstantial and inconclusive, leaving many investigators and experts divided on his guilt or innocence in the Zodiac case. Nevertheless, his history of violence and sexual misconduct and the handwriting match make him one of the prime suspects in the case. Lawrence Kane was another potential suspect in the Zodiac Killer case. Born in Brooklyn, New York on April 29, 1924, Kane had a lengthy criminal record dating back to the 1940s and a history of mental illness. Kane dropped out of high school in New York to work at the age of 17. He changed his name from Lawrence Klein to Lawrence Kay at this time as well. Years later, he would change his last name again to Kane. In 1943, he enlisted in the United States Naval Reserve and claimed to be a high school graduate on his papers in order to get in. Despite Kane's limited formal education, he was highly intelligent and had a talent for electronics. Kane passed the Eddie test, 
a highly selective exam that screened for candidates' mathematical and physics knowledge, creativity, reasoning ability, and general aptitude. Only about 15% of those who took the exam passed, and those who were uh, admitted into the electronics training program scored in the top 2-3% to of intelligence quotient in the nation. Official military records indicated that Kane, the suspect, entered the United States Naval Reserve on February 12, 1943, and received a good conduct discharge under honorable, uh, honorable conditions on September 28, 1943. Records state, Kane's condition at the time of discharge was caused by his strong attachment to his mother, his dependency on her, and her dependency on him. In 1962, Lawrence Kane was involved in a serious car crash in San Mateo, California, which left him with a traumatic brain injury. According to his psychiatrist, this injury resulted in an impulse control disorder that caused Kane to lose the ability to control his urges for self-gratification. This disorder was thought to be related to the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making and impulse control. After the accident, Kane's behavior became increasingly erratic and violent, and he began to accumulate uh, a criminal record that included charges for grand larceny, burglary, and voyeurism. He also developed a substance abuse problem, which further exacer uh, exacerbated his mental health issues. Kane frequently traded cars. Five days after the brutal attack on Michael Mayhew and Darlene Farron, Kane traded in his vehicle for a 1969 ambassador. That's just one example, but he would frequently change his cars, um, always switching out and getting a new one, which no shame to that because my husband loves to fix up old beaters and trade them off and make a profit off of it. But in this case, it seems a little suspicious. <clears throat> Anyways... Kane also lived in the Bay Area near some of the crime scenes. At the time of Paul Stein's murder, Kane lived at 217 Eddy Street, uh, near the Theater District. This location is less than a quarter of a mile from the Mason and Gary intersection, the presumed pickup point of Zodiac on October 11, 1969. Lawrence Kane's appearance uh, was similar to the composite sketch and witness descriptions of the Zodiac Killer as well. Detective Don Foop, who was one of the first officers to arrive on the scene of the Paul Stein murder, claimed that he saw a man resembling the composite sketch walking away from the crime scene. Fook later stated that he saw a man who looked like Kane sitting in a parked car near the crime scene around the same time. Fook's opinion on the matter has been disputed, with some experts questioning the reliability of his account. But Kane's physical description also matched that of the Zodiac Killer as described by witnesses. He was described, at, uh, described as being around 5'8", with a stocky build, and had a receding hairline. This description is similar to the physical attributes uh, described by witnesses of the Zodiac Killer. Furthermore, Kane's behavior and mannerisms were said to be similar to those of the Zodiac Killer. According to reports, Kane had a habit of staring intently at people, much like the Zodiac Killer was known to do. He was also known for being unpredictable and violent. Overall, the similarities between Kane's appearance and behavior and those of the Zodiac Killer have led many to consider him a strong suspect in the case, despite the lack of concrete evidence linking him to the crimes. 
Kane's ties to the Zodiac case were initially linked through handwriting analysis, which was deemed inconclusive. However, in 2002, Kane's brother turned over letters that uh, Lawrence had written, which were analyzed by a forensic document examiner, who concluded that there were similarities between Kane's handwriting and that of the Zodiac's letters. Kathleen Johns, a possible Zodiac victim, identified Kane as her abductor, and Pam Huckabee, the sister of Zodiac victim Darlene Farron, claimed that Kane had followed Darlene in the months before her murder. If the Albany letter is connected to the Zodiac, Kane's ties to New York are interesting, uh, are interesting as he was arrested in Albany, New York for grand larceny in April of 1949. Lawrence Kane's notoriety extended beyond his lies and mental health issues. Kane had a history of altercations with law enforcement officers, which only added to his reputation. His criminal record was extensive and included charges for grand larceny, burglary, and voyeurism, and he was known to use aliases such as Lawrence Klein and Larry Kane. You know, we talked about Lawrence Klein before, but Larry Kane's a new one. Additionally, Kane was connected to the disappearance of Donna Lass, which added to his suspicious behavior and heightened law enforcement's interest in him. Donna Lass worked as a staff nurse at the Letterman General Hospital in the Presidio Park before she eventually moved to South Lake Tahoe on June 6, 1970. At approximately the same time, Lawrence Kane also made this journey to Nevada, where both ended up working at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino in close proximity to one another. Kane's interest in astrology and the occult has also been noted as a possible connection to the Zodiac case. He was known to have an astrology calendar plaque on his wall when living in Lake Tahoe. In 1971, Kane moved to Las Vegas and resided at the La Fonda Apartments on Spring Mountain Road. In early 1971, the Zodiac Killer letters would cease for nearly three years until the Exorcist letter arrived on January 29, 1974. Kane was connected to another crime in 1974, but was never formally charged. Dana Lull was abducted from her vehicle on April 24, 1974, from Red Rock Canyon in Las Vegas, with her body later discovered in a mine shaft on Mountain Springs Road, San Bernardino, California. Her companion, Roy Tofig, Tofig, I believe is how you pronounce it, Roy Tofig, I forgot to look up pronunciation, sorry, Roy. Roy Tofig, who, who survived the attack, would give a description to police that closely matched Lawrence Kane. He also described the assailant's vehicle as a white sports car, possibly a 1966-68 Triumph convertible, with a black cloth top, wire-spoked wheels, chrome luggage rack on the trunk, missing grille, and old California license plates. Lawrence Kane at the time owned a white 1966 MG sports car convertible with a black cloth top, wire-spoked wheels, chrome luggage rack on the trunk, missing grille, and California plates. Roy Tofig would later recall his, um, that he saw the killer in the spring in one mo- month after the attack, a place supposedly frequented by Lawrence Kane, according to his previous employer. Lawrence Kane was questioned by police, but through a lack of evidence, no charges were ever filed against him. Despite the lack of concrete evidence linking Kane to the Zodiac case, some experts still believe that he was a strong suspect. In particular, his close resemblance to the composite sketch of the Zodiac, 
his proximity to several crime scenes, and his unusual behavior and interests all point towards his potential involvement in the case. Kane remained a suspect until his death in 2010. Another noteworthy suspect, Ross Sullivan, was a 28-year-old graduate student studying at Cal State University in San Jose during the time of the Zodiac killings. Sullivan had a history of mental illness and a fascination with cryptology. He also had a striking resemblance to the composite sketch of the Zodiac. Some have speculated that Sullivan may have been responsible for the Zodiac killings and that his knowledge of cryptology may have helped him evade capture. Some of Sullivan's co-workers reported him to the police, suggesting that he could be the Zodiac killer. One co-worker recalled that Sullivan had talked about his desire to kill people and get away with it. Another co-worker reported that Sullivan had expressed his fascination with the Zodiac ciphers and his ability to create his own codes. In addition to his co-workers' reports, Sullivan's clothing style was also a point of interest for investigators. He was known to wear military-style clothing, which resembled the outfit described by witnesses who had seen the Zodiac during his crimes. Sullivan's weight also matched the Zodiac's physical description, but he was taller than most eyewitness accounts, and he had fuller lips than the composite drawing of Zodiac. Sullivan was also known to have an interest in theater and poetry, much like the Zodiac. Sullivan also moved from New York to Riverside, California prior to the Sherry Jo Bates murder, even working at the library where Bates was last seen alive. He then moved to Northern California just months before the killings began in the area. However, there was no concrete evidence linking Sullivan to the killings, and he was never officially named a suspect in the case. Gary Post was another suspect in the Zodiac case, based on his resemblance to the composite sketches and his criminal record. He had been arrested in 1969 for stealing a car and in 1970 for breaking into a gas station. The police also found a typewriter and code books in his possession, which made him a potential suspect. However, there was not enough evidence to link Post to the Zodiac crimes, and while his criminal record and possession of code books were suspicious, he was eventually ruled out as a suspect. Additionally, Post's appearance alone was not enough to make him a viable suspect, and the typewriter found in his possession did not match the one used to write the Zodiac letters. Alright, I wanted to share some additional information from the BSU about the warning signs of potential serial killers before ending this episode. Understanding these indicators can aid in identifying and preventing future crimes. By being aware of these red flags, we can all play a role in keeping our communities safe. The Behavioral Science Unit, or BSU, is a department within the FBI that was created to study and analyze the behavior of criminals, particularly serial offenders. The BSU has conducted extensive research on serial killers and has, uh, and has identified common behavioral patterns that may be indicative of violent tendencies. While it's important to note that not all individuals who exhibit these warning signs will become serial killers, the BSU's research has been useful in identifying potential threats and helping law enforcement agencies prevent violent crimes. So, in future episodes where we discuss killers and their psychology, we'll keep these warning signs in mind as we examine the complex and often disturbing minds of these criminals. 
It's important to note that not all individuals who exhibit these warning signs will become serial killers. That is not what I'm saying. However, there are certain behaviors and characteristics that have been identified as common among many serial killers. 1. Many serial killers have a history of violence, including physical and sexual abuse, animal cruelty, and arson. 2. Childhood trauma, such as neglect, abuse, and abandonment, has been linked to the development of violent behavior in some individuals. 3. Serial killers often lack empathy and are are unable to connect with others on an emotional level. 4. Many serial killers are socially isolated and have difficulty forming relationships with others. 5. Serial killers may exhibit obsessive behavior, such as stalking or collecting objects related to their crimes. 6. Some serial killers have a history of sexual deviance or have a fixation on a particular type of victim. 7. Substance abuse has been linked to violent behavior in some individuals, including serial killers. It's also worth noting that these warning signs are not necessarily exclusive to serial killers. Many individuals who exhibit these behaviors may not go on to commit violent crimes, and some may never even come into contact with the criminal justice system. However, when combined with other risk factors, these warning signs may increase the likelihood of an individual engaging in violent behavior. For example, researchers have found that childhood trauma, such as physical or sexual abuse, can increase the risk of an individual engaging, uh, engaging in violent behavior later in life. Similarly, individuals who exhibit a history of substance abuse may be more likely to engage in violent behavior, particularly when under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Furthermore, not all serial killers exhibit all of these warning signs. Some may only exhibit a few, while others may exhibit, uh, may exhibit a combination of several. It's also worth noting that while these warning signs may provide insight into the psychology of serial killers, they are not foolproof predictors of future behavior. In future episodes, we'll continue to explore the psychology of killers and the various factors that may contribute to their violent behavior. Now that I dumped all that information on you, let's break down what we've learned about the Zodiac Killer. It's safe to say that this case has captured the imagination of people for decades, and I'm not surprised by that. The murders were brutal, and the killer's cryptic messages and letters have kept investigators and armchair detectives alike scratching their heads for years. But the research helps build a profile of the killer. The Zodiac Killer was not only notorious for his heinous crimes, but also for his ability to captivate the media with his extensive knowledge of pop culture. He often mimicked his actions and symbols from various sources, such as Detective Story magazines and Tim Holt's Red Mask comic, which featured a death wheel showing different methods of killing, similar to the Zodiac's Halloween card. He even drew inspiration from popular TV shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, where he replicated the flashlight attached to a gun move. The Zodiac also referenced and acted out story elements from the show's dialogue. Interestingly, there was a film called Charlie Channa Treasure Island that featured a serial killer dubbed Zodiac who taunted the San Francisco police with letters. How original. The Zodiac also had a deep knowledge of theater. Oh, also, I am referring to 
the Zodiac Killer and not the Charlie Chan or Treasure Island because clearly the Zodiac copied off of that. Anyways, the Zodiac also had a deep knowledge of theater, referencing the Mikado in one of his letters. Based on his references, I believe the Zodiac was likely in his 30s during his active period, as he had to be old enough to be influenced by these obscure comics and vintage films. It's possible that he crossed state lines and moved around frequently, leaving more cold cases attributed to him. The Zodiac Killer was a notorious and enigmatic serial killer who terrorized Northern California in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Despite numerous investigations and decades of speculation, his true identity remains unknown. Based on the limited evidence available, experts have put together this profile of the suspect. Likely male, based on witness descriptions and the typical gender of serial killers. White, as suggested by witness descriptions in the Zodiac's own communications. Likely aged between 25 and 35 during the killings, based on the age range of witnesses and the Zodiac's description of himself may have had military or law enforcement experience, as suggested by the Zodiac's use of military-style codes and tactics and military boot prints found near some of the crime scenes. Intelligent and methodical, as, ev uh, as evidenced by the Zodiac's use of cryptograms and his ability to evade capture. Potentially suffering from mental illness. May have had a personal connection to the Bay Area or one of the Zodiac's victims, as suggested by some theories and evidence. It's important to note that this profile is based on limited information and should be taken with caution. The true identity of the Zodiac Killer remains a mystery, and the case continues to fascinate and confound true crime enthusiasts to this day. When we dig into the facts, we find a story that's both intriguing and terrifying. We've gone over the suspects, the evidence, and the theories surrounding the Zodiac case, and while we found some tantalizing leads, we still don't have any concrete answers. But after my research, I feel like I have a solid guess. I encourage you to look up the Z13 My Name Is Cipher, the one containing 13 mixed letters and symbols, and approach it similarly to how Craig Bauer approached the Z340, as we went over in part one. What if some letters stand for themselves and the answer is lying in plain sight? Plus, maybe some added gibberish or taunt at the end? When I looked at it from this angle, I realized the first four letters, when rearranged, spell the last name of one of our suspects. Could it be that obvious? Uh, I don't know, man. Let me know what you think. Do you have any theories about the Zodiac case? Are there any true crime stories that you find particularly fascinating and would like me to research in the future? Shoot us an email at ominousobsessionspod at gmail.com. Or message us on Instagram at Ominous Obsessions Podcast. Thank you for listening to the final episode of our Zodiac Killer series. We hope you found the series informative and intriguing, and that has given you a deeper understanding of the infamous case. I've spent countless hours researching and putting this series together, and I hope it's lived up to your expectations. I would love to hear your thoughts on the series and would be honored if you could take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. Your feedback helps improve this content and reach a wider audience, and it also lets me know what you enjoyed and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. So whether you love the series or have some constructive feedback to share, I want to hear from you. Once again, thank you for listening. I appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more captivating content in the future. 
Before we end this episode, we promised in episode one that Nick and I would update on our stay at the Elms. Well, what up? What did you think about the hotel? The hotel was great. It was lovely. Uh, we had a very lovely time. Uh, we enjoyed several things like the lap pool. Tiff went to the spa. Um, multiple things we did. Uh, I really liked the spa. It was super relaxing. I did the Halo Salt Cave treatment, which was very interesting, but it was supposed to help uh, clear out your lungs and I've been dealing with some bronchitis, so it was really helpful for that. Uh, and I really also enjoyed the eucalyptus steam shower that they had in the spa. It was really interesting. I've never experienced anything like that. Uh, but it was pretty cool. Also, uh, we did take a paranormal tour on uh, yeah, while we were yeah. staying there. And Jay was our tour guide. It was pretty informative. It did clear up a little bit of... Few few questions about the like the building when you get in there. Uh, the, the thing I le- thought that was most interesting about the f- was the floor of the actual whole building, and all the, you know the single tiles being laid in mm-hmm. the building. I think he said it was like forty like thousand hours. I think. I don't know. I don't remember how long it took. Yeah, I, I just I don't remember. The, the, he's talking about the uh, in the main lobby of the hotel. There's. All these tiny little tiles that were hand laid, um, that were they came from Italy, right? Yeah, Italy. And right. there was also a marble staircase that came from uh, Italy. They were both yeah. original, both handcrafted. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Yeah, it was really, it was really neat. Also, when you go up those marble stairs uh, on the right, you can see the old safe that uh, Al Capone used to use. Yeah, to that was pretty cool. And it was store. also in the Elm's second fire. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. I mean, you could still see the uh, the black on it, you know, from the you know the smoke being smoke hitting it. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't experience any major paranormal activity at the Elms. The only thing that we really had happen was there were some flickering lights, and you know you can chalk that up to old wiring. <laughs> but it did add to the ambiance of the hotel, and I did manage to take a photo that had two orbs in it, so that was kind of interesting. I loved. I loved our room. I mean, everything down to our room was awesome. You know, I had a very, like, a spacious bathroom. You know, had a nice uh, table for you to set stuff on. Um, the bed was super comfy. Yeah, know, we had a king-size. King-size bed. That was awesome. Super and nice. what I loved about it was the design on the back wall. They actually put cabinets on both sides. You know, you had a nightstand. It was kind of like a cabinets, you know, towering over the bed. And yeah, like an armoire, uh, but it kind of went over the bed, and then there was like storage, you know, on the very top of it as well as a shelf. Yeah, uh, it was. It wasn't decorated super crazy or anything. That was pretty simple, and uh, well, I really liked it. It was a pretty little room. I have pictures of it on um, the Dominus Obsessions Instagram. On I highlighted all of the pictures I posted on my story, so you can look at that. You can look at the floors. We stayed on the uh, the first floor, which was basically directly over the uh, lap pool, which was very uh, it was very convenient. It was <laughs> nice. It was also quiet in that area. We weren't in a haunted room, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on who you are. But um, it was still great. It was really close to uh, all the amenities. The um, gym was really 
close to. I didn't go to the gym. Nick talked about going, but he ended no, up. Never did. No, you ran to the yeah, diner. Yeah. Gyms are overrated. <laughs> it was really cold, and while I was at the spa, Nick ran to uh, the diner, which was a couple blocks down the road. Yeah, it was super cold. What was the diner called? Oh, Ray's it was Diner. A wind chill of negative two. It <laughs> yeah, it was. It was snowing. Ray's it's Diner large. was awesome. Uh, they were. 0.8 miles from the uh, hotel. I know that, in fact, because I GPSed it to get there. <laughs> um, so I went I went to Ray's Diner. I uh, walked there. It's perfect walking distance, you know, only three or four blocks away. Um, but when you get there, uh, it was such a small diner. Like, it was so 1950s diner. You walk in, and you're sitting at the bar... Uh, was where I sat, and there was, I mean, maybe four booths in the place. Um, some neat, like, old-style tile laying, too, in there. Very similar to the Elms, but, you know, in a less fancy sense. More of a, you know, it gets going to get stepped on consistently every day. <laughs> but, uh, they, the, the bar was, you know, you can sit right behind the cook. It was old-style meals, um, you know, things they used to have back then. You know, definitely give it a check out. Yeah, the only thing is it's very small. Um, Nick did tell me that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because it was so tight. And um, yeah, yeah, I just don't like being in super close proximity to a bunch of other people. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to uh, pay attention to anybody talking in front of me. But the food sounds delish. And um, I, yeah, Nick definitely thought it was amazing. So. Yeah, but I definitely recommend anybody go to Excelsior Springs. It's a cool little town. Uh, there's a lot of history there. The Hall of Waters was uh, under renovation when we were visiting, so we didn't get to go there. That's where they used to bottle all of the spring Went to water. the museum. That was yeah, we did cool. go to the museum. And they, had, uh, they had both the original safes from, uh, you know... Uh, they had both the original safes from the town. Back yes. When I mean, so so the uh, museum was in the old bank. So that's what he's referring to. The safes in there. It's from the old bank. Um, but yeah, it's a cool place. I definitely would love to go back. Um, it's perfect for a little romantic getaway or just a chance to recharge. The hotel has a lot of charm. So does the town. And yeah, uh, had yeah. a beautiful outside hot tub that you can go to. Yeah. Well, that's it for tonight. Uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe and stay curious. Good night. Good night.